welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to chatting yardage part of the chatting average family and brought to you by our friends at sports drink hello everybody welcome once again to the show i'm your host mr cam matthews you can find me on twitter at heycam93 you can also follow the show be part of the conversation at chatting yardage hope you and uh, you and your friends and family and other loved ones enjoyed the christmas holiday over this past weekend hopefully uh Hopefully the gift giving and times were good to you, and uh, hopefully you got to sit down and watch some college football because there were certainly some good games uh, over the weekend and then into this week that is reaching its conclusion. Still a lot of good football coming up, which uh, which of course we'll talk about later on in our pick six segment of the show. It's kind of hard to believe that we're you know we're right here on the cusp of the of the end of the season but I do have a fun activity that I, I'm gonna get you all involved in uh, before we do finish out this year uh, but I'll talk about that more later on in the show um, I think toward the tail end of the pick six segment so be sure to hang on for that uh, as you listen uh, today uh, want to once again just thank you um, thank you for being part of of the show, being part of the conversation, you know, interacting with with myself and Alex, you know, uh, kind of a fun little pet project we decided to put together this year, uh, you know, in a way to enjoy the college football season with all of you, and you know, it's been an absolute blast. But uh, still got a little ways to go, so we'll go ahead and dive into last week's pick six games of the week. Again, these were six games that I found interesting, and I believe you should have as well. First game we're going to look at is the Gasparilla Bowl. Wake Forest over Missouri by a final of 27-17. to uh, Good showing here by the Demon Deacons, a, a game that was, you know, kind of close at times, but Sam Hartman and company able to pull away. Uh, of course, Sam Hartman in the news for other reasons this week. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But, you know, Wake Forest, I know they had a bit of a disappointing season, but at least they were able to end it on a high note with, with a good bowl win over a Missouri team that was, I think was a bit of a surprise this year. You know, bear in mind that this was a team that gave Georgia quite a scare uh, when they met up. You know, could have pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the year, didn't quite able, you know, didn't quite pull it out. Uh, but nonetheless, still had a quality season, but Wake Forest on top by 10. Next up in the Birmingham Bowl, East Carolina handles Coastal Carolina 53-29. First ever meeting between these two schools, surprisingly, and it feels like a game that, you know, should be played more often. You know, this game was physical. It was kind of chippy at times. You know, these there was a lot of, uh, a lot of aggression, a lot of comp- competition in this one, but the Pirates able to handle the uh, Chanticleers pretty handedly. Uh, again, winning 53-29, good win for the Pirates uh, as a program that's, you know, really trying to build itself back up to what it was 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and then, you know, Central Carolina, or Coastal Carolina, rather, uh, you know, say what you will about this season. They still made it to the conference championship game, lost there, lost their bowl game pretty big, uh, you know, got a new head coach coming in next year. They're kind of in a in a bit of a transformation period. Uh, this is a team that two, three years ago kind of lit the college football world on, on fire and really got the attention uh, of everyone nationally. But now it seems like they're in a bit of a transition period. It'll be interesting to see what they're able to do next year with a new head coach and a new quarterback as well. 
On to the Military Bowl. Duke defeats UCF 30-13. to uh, Duke was in control the vast majority of this game. In fact, uh, UCF scored a late touchdown kind of in garbage time. So really, at one point, it was... Uh, I believe 30 to 6, uh, just uh, or 30 to 10, maybe uh, something like that. They had a late score, but anyway, uh, Duke was in the driver's seat the vast majority of this game. And once again, gonna, you know, got to give props to Duke coach Mike Elko uh, for the tremendous job that he's done with the Blue Devils this season. First nine win season since 2014. That's right, a nine win season. This is a team that was uh, expected and preseason predicted to only win, I think, three games. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, t- a tremendous job by him and his staff and uh, it'll be interesting to see what he continues to build up uh, there in Durham over to the Liberty Bowl in two overtimes one of the most chaotic games of the week Arkansas defeats Kansas 55 to 53 Arkansas goes up big early and then lets that lead slip away Kansas with an onside kick less than a minute ago is able to get the ball back score two point conversion force overtime uh, into into triple overtime we go rather um uh, Arkansas is able to get into the end zone. Kansas, meanwhile, bad pass throws it away. That's your ball game. Uh, a really good, fun back and forth game. And you know, for a game that's just the Liberty Bowl between two six and six teams, I think what this bowl season has shown is you know, despite the opt outs, despite the uh, transfers, and despite the conversation that there's too many bowl games. I think a lot of these kids missed that memo because they are going out there and they are playing their hearts out in some of these lesser bowls, and they have been very entertaining. And so I think as a college football fan, I don't know how you can argue uh, against keeping the bowl format to an extent the way it is. Like, are there some that we could probably trim out? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, I think for two 6-6 six and six teams like Kansas and Arkansas who had, you know, underwhelming seasons, so to speak, but at one point were a spotlight feature nationally uh, in the early stages of the season, I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know how you couldn't have found this game to be entertaining and worth having been played. So, uh, you know, it, it'll be an ongoing conversation, of course, like it has been for years. There's been reports already that, Supposedly, the qualifications for what a bowl team is and is not is going to be reevaluated. You know, I think some minor tweaking could could be fine, but at the end of the day, I think you know, for the the vast majority of these kids are still going out and putting forth a, a valiant effort, and so you know, I think that's all you can ask for. Over to the Texas Bowl, Ole Miss falls to Texas Tech, forty-two to twenty-five. Texas Tech, of course. Uh, paying tribute to former head coach Mike Leach before the game, Ole Miss uh, just ending ending the season kind of on a on a bit of a downward spiral, so to speak. You know, you got your loss to Alabama, you got your loss in the Egg Bowl to Mississippi State. Now you lose by a couple of scores, you know, by three scores to Texas Tech. I don't know. You got to wonder about you know about where Ole Miss is heading. They they're obviously they're getting good recruits. Uh, they've obviously got a good coaching staff in place. You know the kids are buying in, so to speak, to Lane Kiffin's system. But I don't know. It just seems like they can't quite get over the hump. And I think there was higher expectations for this year. You know, this is a team that cracked the top ten at one point this season and then finished unranked. So uh, a bit of a disappointing year for the Rebels. But uh, again, I I think they're still in a pretty good position coming back next year. Uh, But, you know, they're going to have to make some moves and make some adjustments, though, to to just kind of take that next step. And then our sixth pick six game of the week for last week, the Alamo Bowl. Number 20, Texas took on number 12, Washington. This game 
just happened last night uh, into the wee hours of the night. That was about a 9-10 kickoff, I believe, on the East Coast. So a bit of a late one here. Washington pulls one out over Texas. 27-20 is your final score. This game was pure chaos from the get-go. Uh, this was a game that within the first 40 seconds, Washington had to use a timeout. This was a game that within the first within the first four minutes, both teams had a turnover, I believe, and had two drives to that point each. I mean, just a chaotic game that ended up coming down to one touchdown and I think a lot of folks including myself expected this to be a good one and sure enough it was uh, as Washington completes what is a you know I think what is a good season uh, for them I believe this was their 11th 10th or 11th win so you know you can't complain of that Uh, Texas again you know they're close but they have a lot of talent still coming in so you know I think Texas is still in a bit of a building phase Uh, But it will be interesting to see where they are within the next two, three seasons, especially with Arch Manning coming in next fall. Looking at the other bowl scores in the Independence Bowl, Houston takes down Louisiana 23-16 in the Hawaii Bowl. Middle Tennessee defeats San Diego State 25-23. Close one there. Quick Lane Bowl, New Mexico State over Bowling Green 24-19 in the Camellia Bowl. Buffalo defeats Georgia Southern 23-21. Real good back-and-forth game there. Uh, if you had a chance to watch that, that was kind of one of those midday businessman special games that are, are always kind of fun this time of year, especially the week between Christmas and New Year's when you know more often than not folks are off work. It's nice to get a good uh, 12, 1 o'clock kickoff game during the middle of the day while you're at home. In the first responder bowl, Memphis defeats Utah State 38-10. to So, four-score uh, win there for Memphis. Good season for them. Guaranteed rate bowl. Wisconsin takes down Oklahoma State 24-17. Mike Gundy, again, just kind of has Oklahoma State sputtering to the finish line this year. And it'll be interesting to see if he does, in fact, make any staffing changes. Of course, you may have seen that press conference after this game where he was asked about making staffing changes. And he... Kind of inferred that he might make some uh, some journalist changes and not let that journalist have access to the locker room anymore. So, uh, not that Mike Gundy is angry with journalists or anything. Never seen that before. Uh, in the Holiday Bowl, Oregon squeaks one out over North Carolina, 28-27. Uh, really... Uh, kind of a a tale of two halves, a game that saw a lot of points scored in the first half, no points scored in the third quarter, and then the Ducks managed to score two touchdowns versus Carolina's two field goals in the fourth quarter, and really that's what it feels like it came down to. Uh, Carolina goes to the red zone twice in the second half, has to settle for field goals, and that ends up kind of being their undoing. Now, of course, there was a missed field goal in the for- first half for the Tar Heels. Yes, Carolina had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter with about seven or eight minutes to go. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen with their defensive struggles, no lead is quite safe unless it's a huge lead, and we haven't necessarily seen that this year for Carolina. Uh, but, again, this was a very good Oregon team, and so I think there's kind of a, there's a lot of nuance to this game in that You know, both teams had several starters out. Carolina had numerous defensive starters out. Uh, So they were kind of running a second-string defense, also missing a couple of offensive weapons. And the fact that you walk away with a one-point loss to Oregon, who is one of the sneaky, better teams in the country, despite a couple of early losses and a late loss, uh, you know, I think this is a this is a team that there's still a lot of talent on. You know, speaking of North Carolina, Oregon's still very talented. I think they could probably be expected to start in the top ten next season. You know, for the preseason, so you know, good back and forth game. But again, uh, you know, as a Carolina fan, it's kind of hard to see uh, your team once again just 
kind of struggle to win the big one, which seems to be uh, seems to be our our trouble here. And then uh, over into the Pinstripe Bowl, Minnesota takes down Syracuse, twenty eight to twenty. Thank goodness this is the last game we'll have to see this season played on a baseball diamond because goodness knows the Holiday Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl field conditions were absolutely awful. We saw it pregame, we saw it during game. The turf just completely falling apart underneath the players' feet. And, you know, my hope is that we eventually get away from this model because unless they can make some huge advancement in the quality of the turf, some kid is inevitably going to get hurt seriously in one of these games. Uh, You know, when you have corners and edges of, you know, these squares of turf literally peeling up during the game, you talk about a cleat getting hung in that, you know, or somebody, you know, stepping into one of those and getting tripped up, you know, you're talking about a, a potential you know, a potential catastrophe in terms of injury. So I don't know, something to hopefully they'll evaluate moving forward. And then in the Cheez-It Bowl, another really good game here. Florida State takes down Oklahoma 35-32. to uh, Closer of a game than I think a lot of people expected, including myself. I, I fully expected Florida to run away with this one, uh, considering the season that Oklahoma has had. But Oklahoma, you know, put forth a valiant effort, but I think, you know, coming down the stretch in terms of timeouts and play calling, uh, Brent Venables struggled a little bit at the end of that game. If you watched it, you know, Florida State able to kick a field goal uh, with, you know, with about a minute left in the game to to really seal it for them. Oklahoma did march down the field, but a sack ends it as time expired, and they were out of timeouts. Nothing to do there, uh, but a good, a really good season for Florida State. You know, Mike Norvell. For what we talked about last season, you know, kind of a disappointing year in his first year as head coach, I think he's really got those kids playing well. He's got a lot of good recruits coming in. So, you know, will they ever get back to what they were 30, 40 years ago? I I don't know. Probably not. Uh, And you can say that for a lot of teams because dynasties come and go in college football, it seems. You know, you think about about Texas 20 years ago. You think about – Ohio State 20 years ago, and yeah, sure, they're in the conversation, but, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like they're as talented as they were during, like, the Jim Jim Trestle era. Uh, So, you know, dynasties come and go, but will Florida State be at the forefront of the ACC in two or three years? Who knows? I could certainly see it happening, uh, especially with the um, abolishment of divisions within the ACC, so things are, you know, going to start getting interesting next season. Well, that's enough of me rambling to start off the show. As always, we'll jump into our first segment of the week. This is Four Down Territory. First Down. According to a report from Pete Thamel of ESPN, Wake Forest record-breaking quarterback Sam Hartman plans to enter the transfer portal, and Notre Dame is considered the school he'll ultimately transfer to. Notre Dame has yet to confirm this news, but multiple sources have informed Irish Breakdown, a Notre Dame blog website, that Hartman has very strong interest in Notre Dame, and the feeling is mutual now that he's officially in the portal. Hartman has started parts of four seasons with the Demon Deacons, and over the last two seasons, he's been one of the most prolific quarterbacks in all of college football. Hartman passed for 7,929 yards and 77 touchdowns over the last two seasons, while adding 493 rushing yards and 12 more touchdowns during that same stretch. The South Carolina native has thrown for over 12,000 yards, almost 13,000, and 110 touchdown passes during his career. His 110 touchdown passes is the most ever by an ACC quarterback, 
and his passing yards ranked second all-time, trailing only former NC State and Los Angeles Chargers quarterback Phillip Rivers. Hartman also has 17 career rushing touchdowns. Hartman passed for 4,228 yards and 39 touchdowns during a breakout season in 2021, leading the Deacons to an 11-3 record, its most wins in a season since 2006. That was the sixth most passing yards in a single season by an ACC quarterback. He followed up with 3,701 yards and 38 touchdowns in 2022, despite missing a game due to a blood clot issue that cost him much of fall camp as well. Despite that absence, Hartman set career highs with a 63.1 completion rate and his highest yards per attempt average. Hartman's 39 and 38 touchdown passes the last two seasons rank as the fourth and fifth best single season marks in ACC history. Hartman just finished his Wake Forest career with 280 passing yards and three touchdowns in a 27-17 Gasparilla Bowl victory over Missouri. But at the end of the day, the question still remains. How is it so well known, so to speak, that his intended landing spot is in South Bend? If he is just now entering the transfer portal. Something to keep an eye on. Second down. Ed Reed, a Super Bowl champion and nine-time Pro Bowl selection with the Baltimore Ravens, has agreed to become the next head football coach at Bethune-Cookman, the university announced on Tuesday. Reed, who was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2019, becomes the latest high-profile former athlete to coach in the HBCU ranks. Deion Sanders was at Jackson State from 2020 until he took the head coaching job at Colorado earlier this month. Eddie George has been the head coach at Tennessee State since 2021. A historically black university located in Daytona Beach, Florida, Bethune-Cookman is an FCS program. It won six MEAC championships since 2000, but has struggled since joining the SWAC in 2021. Ed Reed, a Super Bowl champion and nine-time Pro Bowl selection with the Ravens, spent the, fir- spent the past three seasons in a support staff role at his alma mater, Miami, most recently as a senior football advisor. The school's previous coach, Terry Sims, was fired in late November after going 2-9 and nine in back-to-back seasons. The Wildcats' athletic director is Reggie Theus, a, long, a longtime NBA player and former Sacramento Kings coach. Theus is also Bethune-Cookman's head men's basketball coach. Bethune-Cookman's news release announcing that Reed had, quote, entered an agreement in principle to be its 16th head football coach was scant on details, however. Reed, 44, age 44, has spent the past three seasons in a support staff role at his alma mater Miami, most recently as a senior football advisor under head coach Mario Cristobal. Before his time on the Miami staff, Ed Reed was an assistant defensive backs coach with the Buffalo Bills in 2016. Reed, who was originally from Louisiana, was a part of Miami's 2001 National Championship team. He was then drafted in the first round overall by the Ravens in 2002 and led the league in interceptions three times. He also holds the NFL record for interception return yards. Third down. The Michigan State football player facing the most serious charges from the incident inside the Michigan Stadium Tunnel has accepted a plea deal. Kerry Crump has agreed to plead guilty to misdemeanor counts of assault and battery and disorderly conduct person jostling. He originally was charged with felonious assault with a deadly weapon by Washtenaw County Prosecutor Eli Savitt on November 23rd. 
Crump, age 21, will go in front of the 15th District Court in Ann Arbor by Zoom at 9 a.m. January 5th to accept the plea deal, his attorney Mike Nichols told the Free Press. Once he accepts the probation deal under the Holmes Youthful Trainee Act, all charges will be dismissed and wiped from his record. Nichols said Michigan player Jermon Green, whom Crump had been swinging his helmet at Green on video during the October 29th incident, was consulted on the plea deal. The agreement also included Crump writing a letter of apology to Green. The two lesser misdemeanor charges each come with $500 fines for each charge and a maximum of 93 days in jail, though Nichols does not expect Crump to receive any jail time. After being suspended for the final four games of the season, Crump still faces missing the first eight games of the 2023 season instituted by the Big Ten. Michigan State linebacker Jacoby Winman is facing one count of misdemeanor assault and battery for the incident at U of M, who, according to police, Green filed suffered an abrasion above his right eye, a cut to the corner of his right eye, and an injury to the right side of his upper lip. Five other Michigan State players, defensive end Zion Young, Itavian Tank Brown, and Brandon Wright, and defensive backs Angelo Gross and Justin White, were charged with one count of misdemeanor aggravated assault in the incident with McBurrows, who, according to police documents, suffered a cartilage fracture to his nose and a small laceration on his left lower back. Michigan State coach Mel Tucker suspended all seven players for the final four games of the Spartan season, along with another who eventually was not charged in the incident. All but Crump have been reinstated and face no further punishment by the Big Ten. Fourth down. TCU's Sonny Dykes was named Associated Press Coach of the Year on Monday after leading the number three Horned Frogs to the college football playoff in his first season with the school. Dykes received 37 of 46 first place votes and 120 points from the AP Top 25 voters to become the second TCU coach to win the award, which is presented by Regions Bank. The first two for the school were won by Gary Patterson in 2009 and 2014. The coach Dykes replaced after last season. It's the ultimate team award, Dykes told AP. It's indicative, it's indicative of literally everybody in our office, coaches, players, everybody, because more so than ever in college football, it is truly a team effort. Michigan will face number or TCU rather will face number two Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl for a berth in the national championship game. Tulane coach Willie Fritz was second with 40 points and two first place votes, followed by Tennessee's Josh he- John Heupel and last year's winner, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan. Georgia's Kirby Smart also received a first-place vote. Sonny Dykes, age 53, in his fourth stop after stints with Louisiana Tech, California, and SMU. The Texan and son of longtime Texas Tech coach Spike Dykes, Sonny Dykes is 83-64 and in 13 seasons as a head coach. It's not always like this, and I've been on both ends, and so something like this probably means more to me than it might somebody. Dykes said, I've been 1-11, and I've been fired. I've been kind of on top and then at bottom too. I'm always thankful for those bad times because it really, truly does make you appreciate the good times even more. Dykes' path to AP Coach of the Year is quite unique. The award was established in 1998, and no coach had ever won his first Coach of the Year award on his fourth stop as a bowl subdivision head coach. Dykes moved across town to take over at TCU after being with rival SMU for five years. Playing against the Horned Frogs annually, he had a good idea of what kind of team he was getting. 
So instead of a major roster overhaul of last season's 5-7 TCU team, Dykes dipped into the transfer portal to fill some holes, but mostly took what he inherited and turned it into one of the best, if not most mature, teams in the country. Sometimes it's more about the chemistry of things and trying to get the chemistry of those rooms right, as opposed to necessarily adding talent, Dykes said. That's part of it, I think. That part of it, I think, is really overlooked. Just the chemistry and creating competition and all that. The Horned Frogs started the season unranked, but didn't lose until dropping the Big 12 championship in overtime to Kansas State. Dykes went on to say, We really had no expectations whatsoever when the year started. We thought we had a chance to be pretty good, but we just gained confidence every week. And we had some kids that were really tough and liked to compete. And that made everything so much better. Trying to get our two boys ready to carry them to the golf tournament for practice, right? Twelve cats live across the road. Our door's open. Screen's broke. We need to get a new screen door. But the screen's broke, so you can come in through the screen, but you can't get back out of it. I turn and look, there's a little kitty cat in our, in our kitchen. So I said, what are you doing in here, little kitty cat? By that time, eh, the cat turns, tries to get back out. That screen won't go that way. Cat starts going all crazy. And I told our players, we need more dogs. Bo's barking in the back. I have to go shut Bo up. Mel's like, what's going on? I said, it's a cat in the house. Cat in the house? I said, yeah, there's a cat in the house. So I told our players, I tried to let it out the front door. The cat's still going crazy in there. And I told our players, you need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Do I look good? I got my extra bands on. I got my other shoes on. Be a dog. We don't need no meows. We don't need no cats. We need more dogs. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week... We're heading down to Conway, South Carolina, home of the Coastal Carolina University Chanticleers. The Chanticleer, a proud and fierce rooster, is the unique moniker for the Coastal Carolina University mascot and athletics teams. The Chanticleer is derived from Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, specifically the Nun's Priest Tale. In the early 1960s, Coastal's athletic teams were known as the Trojans until a group of Coastal students and their English professor-slash-basketball coach Cal Maddox brought up the idea of a new mascot. It helped that the Chanticleer was from the same family of Animal Kingdom as the Gamecock, the mascot of Coastal's parent university at the time, which was an important consideration in those days. Thus, the Chanticleer was born giving the growing college its own identity and one of the most unique mascots in college athletics. For the best description of the Chanticleer, we turn to Geoffrey Chaucer's words. For crowing there was not his equal in all the land, his voice was merrier than the merry organ that plays in church, and his crowing from his resting place was more trustworthy than a clock. His comb was redder than fine coral, and he turreted like a castle wall. His bill was black and shone like a jet, and his legs and toes were like azure. His nails were whiter than the lily, and his feathers were like burnished gold. On July 1, 1993, Coastal Carolina became an independent public university, ending a 33-year relationship with the University of South Carolina. Some people thought that that was the time to send the Chanticleer packing and make a complete split from University of South Carolina. 
As he had before Coastal Carolina gained its independence, and as he has since that time, the Chanticleer continues to overcome the battles and reign supreme. The Chanticleer has made a name for himself and Coastal Carolina University around the world, and has captured a place in the hearts of CCU fans. A couple of notes on the Chanticleer, the proper pronunciation is Chanticleer. Uh, you may also hear Coastal's athletic teams referred to in abbreviated form as the Chants. Uh, and their mascot is named Chauncey. Also, as part of the 2011 football homecoming game, a new tradition began at Brooks Stadium when Maddox, the live mascot, made his debut. The new mascot received his name via student vote and honors the legacy of former Coastal basketball coach and English professor Cal Maddox. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage to let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. Pick six. All right, we are going to jump into this week's Pick 6 Games of the Week. Six games that I find interesting and I believe you should too. Now, this is a big week in terms of bowl play. It is the final, technically the final week of bowl action for 2022 as we head into the New Year's Bowls, uh, which are actually going to be played on Monday the 2nd because obviously college football not going to compete with NFL Sunday, but some of the biggest games of the year are coming up this upcoming week. We have a ton of ranked matchups. In fact, every single matchup we're about to go over is a ranked matchup between two ranked teams. So if you want, you know, if you want the best of the best playing each other, if you want potentially the most thrilling the most competitive games well the next few days are certainly your uh your heaven for foot college football so to speak and you know i think this time of year is always so much fun you know especially with the new year six bowls there's just something so traditional feeling right about uh about you know you watch some football on new year's eve you have your you know your party or your get together you celebrate however it is that you celebrate you watch the ball drop you roll into a new year and then, you know, the first day of the year, you have that kind of new beginning that, you know, whether you believe in New Year's resolutions or not, you know, there's something to be said about rolling into a new year, feeling like you have a, a fresh start, a new beginning, so to speak. And then, you know, you get to recover from the night before and you get to sit down and, and watch football all day and watch some of the biggest games of the year. And so that's why this upcoming weekend is always one of the most fun weekends of the entire season. And, you know, hopefully you'll be able to take advantage of it as well. All right. Game number one this week, the Gator Bowl in number 21, Notre Dame takes on number 19, South Carolina. This game on Friday, that is today, if you're listening on the day that it's been, this show has been released, 3.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN, a game uh, between a couple of teams that were surprising in a lot of ways. You know, Notre Dame uh, had some very bad losses earlier in the year, but then went undefeated against the ACC this season, were able to, you know, kind of salvage their season and finish out ranked, although, you know, some folks even had them going to the playoff this year, so nonetheless, an underwhelming season for the Irish, but they take on a South Carolina team that, you know, despite what their record might tell you, 
uh, this is a team that has not necessarily backed down from any challenge. You know, I think their their worst game probably was against Georgia, but Georgia was a lot of teams' worst games. So, uh, you know, this is a, this is a tricky game for Notre Dame. You know, you got to feel like the pressure is really on them to come away with a win here, to somewhat salvage the season, to end on a win. And you're going up against a team that it, it probably isn't afraid of you. You know, Shane Beamer, for for all that he's worth does a tremendous job of, of getting his players mentally prepared. He you know, he he has a way of having those kids buy in. And they've had a heck of a year. You know, you think about uh, think about the win over Tennessee. You think about the win over Clemson. Uh, you know, this is a team that hasn't gotten lost in the spotlight yet. And so uh, this is a good test for them to be able to take down Notre Dame. And, and you know, a very good bowl game, the Gator Bowl. Uh, so, again, that's Friday, 3.30 on ESPN. Coming up next after that, Friday night, 8 p.m. on ESPN, the Orange Bowl. Number six, Tennessee takes on the number seven, Clemson Tigers. This is an all-orange game. You couldn't have written it any better. A couple of teams, again, that at one point had a firm grasp, uh, theoretically, on uh, on making the playoff and then let it slip through their fingers. Both teams lost to South Carolina, as mentioned before, in, uh, in upset losses. Uh, but two very fast and physical kinds of teams. I mean, you're you're looking at a you're looking at a Clemson team that has struggled uh, with passing defense this year, and you're you're taking on a team like Tennessee that is not afraid to just air the ball out. You know, Hendon Hooker uh, has a heck of an arm on him; is also extremely athletic. Uh, but you know, Clemson is obviously going to be starting uh, starting without quarterback DJU, who they began the season with, who has now transferred out and is heading to Oregon State. So it's going to be a bit of a different look for the Clemson Tigers, uh, at least. From you know a few weeks ago, now mind you, DJ did not play in the ACC championship game, but nonetheless, uh, you know, uh, not the not the Clemson team of the past couple of years that you're used to rolling into this one. This is kind of a game that I think you know both teams obviously not happy with where they ended up. Uh, both Tennessee is kind of a team that's really that really feels like it, it's just on the cusp of you know maybe taking that next step Clemson meanwhile it almost feels like they're taking a step back so this is a prove it game for both teams in in, in a couple of different ways you know Tennessee looking to show that they are for real uh, and already take that next step Clemson looking to show that you know hey we're not going anywhere just yet should be a good one though Friday night 8 p.m. ESPN now we roll into Saturday three big games on Saturday we'll cover uh, there is another one that we'll leave off for now, but uh, hopefully hopefully it's a good showing by Tulane. Of course, that's Tulane and USC. That game is on Saturday, I believe, unless it's a Monday. I, I can't recall right offhand. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but Saturday, the Sugar Bowl, Saturday, 12 p.m. on ESPN. Number five, Alabama takes on number nine, Kansas State. Alabama, you have to feel like, is going to be playing angry in this one. Uh, you know, missing the playoff is just not something they tend to do. I believe this is only the second time they've missed the playoff since it was instated. Uh, meanwhile, Kansas State, you know, Kansas State has has forced the hand of a lot of good teams this year. And while they didn't always come out on the winning side of things, they always put up a heck of a fight and scared a couple of folks. You know, in fact, as mentioned earlier in the Sonny Dykes article, uh, Kansas State handed TCU their only loss this season. So could be a good one here. This is a game that, you know, I think Nick Saban is going to have his guys 
just extremely ready for. This feels like one of those games that is either uh, either going to be, you know, Alabama blows this one out or Kansas State makes it interesting. I feel like it's going to go one way or the other. And I think what happens, I think, I think what it comes down to is just how disciplined Alabama is in this game. And we've talked about it all season long. This has been the theoretically the most undisciplined Alabama team we've seen in terms of penalties and, and you know, penalty yardage and, and things of that nature. So, you know, if Alabama can play a clean game, they ought to, ha- they ought to be able to handle Kansas State. But again, Kansas State, Kansas State doesn't necessarily know that they're Kansas State. And what I mean by that is, you know, sure, Kansas State is a perennial above average kind of program has been, you know, since Bill Snyder was at the helm, you know, for a couple of decades. But uh, what I mean by that is, you know, I don't think anybody looks at that matchup, at least the casual fan doesn't look at this matchup and say, oh, Alabama, Kansas State, oh, well, Alabama's going to roll through that one. Kansas State doesn't have that mindset, and that that's what I mean, is that they they believe that you can tell they're the kind of team that when they roll out onto the field, they can hang with anybody, and they've showed that quite a bit this season. So an interesting matchup, uh, you know, again, I think it'll go really to one extreme or the other, but we'll see how that plays out Saturday at noon. Then we roll into the two big ones, the two games that – you know, everybody has their eyes on, so to speak, this this coming weekend, and it's all going to determine who heads the national championship game. Both semifinal games on the list this week, of course. Uh, game number four is the Fiesta Bowl. Number three, TCU takes on number two, Michigan, Saturday, 4 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, a game that I think a lot of folks are not giving TCU any credit for, and for good reason. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if you look up and down statistically and you compare these two teams, you know, Michigan is great defensively. TCU is not. Michigan runs the ball extremely well. TCU does not stop the run whatsoever. But... That has not hindered TCU all season long. Week in, week out, they have found a way to win. And, you know, it's amazing what Sonny Dykes has done with this team in just one season. This is, an, this is again, this is an extremely mature team. There are, I believe, more upperclassmen on this team than just about any other program in the country. Michigan, meanwhile, has, a, you know, probably the second most talented roster in the entire country for, for what it's worth. So this is a game that, you know, I think a lot of folks are not giving TCU the credit or or giving them the benefit of the doubt, and I completely understand why. Uh, you know, if I had to take a bet, I would, I would probably choose Michigan in this one. But don't be surprised if it's not necessarily the blowout that a lot of people think it's going to be. Again, Saturday, 4 p.m. on ESPN. Now your other semifinal game in the Peach Bowl. Number four, Ohio State takes on number one, Georgia, Saturday, 8 8 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, This one's tricky. So it's tricky in a lot of ways because Ohio State played their toughest competition this year in Michigan and just got completely blown out the water in the second half. We know Ohio State is an extremely talented team. We know they have a prolific offense with a tremendous quarterback at the helm and C.J. Stroud. Georgia, meanwhile, has a, a tremendous defense and, if anything, is finding you know more footing with their offense this year as compared to last year, which is a crazy thing to think about. This is a game that, again, I think a lot of people are riding off Ohio State and saying Georgia's going to take it easily, but 
Ohio State can't just help but have this feeling that they're going to step up in this one and at least make it interesting. I still truly believe that Georgia is the best team in the country, and they have been since week one of this season. But you never quite know in these playoff games, and Ohio State in years past has found ways to certainly make things interesting, and I believe they might do that again here against the Bulldogs. But I still think the dogs come out on top Saturday, 8 p.m. on ESPN. And your game number six of the week. We'll fast forward all the way to Monday night. That's January 2nd, 5 p.m. on ESPN. The granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl between number 11 Penn State and number eight Utah. Interesting matchup here simply because these are two teams that had very sneaky good seasons. And, you know, you suddenly look up and you realize that both of these teams, despite not necessarily being in the conversation for their conference or for the playoff, both had tremendous seasons by all accounts. You're talking about a Penn State team that whose only two losses come to Michigan, Ohio State. The only other two Big 12 teams ranked ahead of them. You're talking about a Utah team that beat USC twice this year and won the Pac-12 championship, but because of a because of a couple of early losses in the season, including a bad loss in hindsight to Florida all the way back in week one. We're talking about a Utah team that still makes a New Year's Six Bowl, and it's still a tremendously talented team. It feels like they're right on the cusp of potentially taking that next step. So I expect this to be a good matchup. I expect this to be a great game. Second year in a row, Utah has gone to the Rose Bowl. It's been a little while since Penn State has been there, but you think back to last year where Utah gave Ohio State a run for its money in the Rose Bowl game, you have to think that they're looking to finish things this year and hoist a trophy and hand out a bouquet or two. Well, that's all of my pick six games for this week. Again, uh, we'll be back next week to review all of those games. And I want to go ahead and throw this out there, too, that we have two episodes left this season. We're going to review uh, all of the New Year's Bowls on next week's episode, of course. We'll get you updated on the news. We'll kind of give a preview of the upcoming national championship game. And my hope is that on that episode, we'll go ahead and throw out your your nominees for some year-end awards. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, over the coming week, between now and next episode, be sure to follow at Chatting Yardage on Twitter. And we're going to take your suggestions for you know categories such as Coach of the Year. Uh, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, uh, you know, surprise of the year, underwhelming team of the year, that sort of thing. We're going to field those. And then in the week between next week's episode and the season finale, we'll throw polls out and take your official vote. So these awards are going to be voted on by you, the fans, the listeners of the show. Again, we do, I do this all for you guys and I appreciate you listening week in, week out. This has been a really fun experience this year, but we're winding down, but we still got some good football to talk about, and we're looking forward to it uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. The extra point. Damian Jackson, the defensive end you may have never heard of, never played high school football. In fact, he was a Navy SEAL for four years and then managed to walk on at Nebraska and then just earlier this week finished his career in a bowl game for Buffalo. Quite the journey for Damian Jackson. So playing us out this week is the Buffalo Marching Band with their fight song, UB Victory March. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. 
Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.